This is Redefining the Counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. Hey guys, we're listening to another episode of Redefining the Counterculture right here on Witten Radio. Today we're joined by the one and only comedian, Michael Scott. Mike, how's it going? Going pretty good, going pretty good. I ain't going to lie, I kind of wish... Uh... We was doing the FaceTime now because I know people here are just Michael Scott. And they <laughs> think Steve Carell in office or something, but no, I'm I'm real 100% Negro. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, Mike, uh, I love your work. And I know, you know, you kind of just made a joke about this just a while ago, but there are some people that aren't familiar with your work. And I was wondering, could you tell us, when did you get your start in – comedy what was it that just kind of was the catalyst for you wanting to get into stand-up um i uh, i won't have this as a long answer i'll too long um i'll just say well first it started uh i had got class clown in high school but the problem with that was is back at that point in my life you know i was so stuck up on you know being a thug you know what i mean uh I was born in a pretty very violent urban neighborhood of uh, Buffalo, New York. Um, But uh, I moved out to L.A. and I, you know, do my music and acting. And uh, just to cut the story even shorter, I had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Talbert. He's a uh, Hollywood director and a stage playwright. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I went on a tour with Dave Talbert uh, a few several years back um, in in Morris Chestnut, and uh, during the whole I say during the whole six months seven months, um, uh, you know you're on tour you're cracking jokes and stuff like that, and uh, Morris Chestnut and Dave Talbert collectively told me that uh, you know you do a lot you're an actor you know you do music but. Uh, we we can see a lot of things coming for you if you just went ahead to stand up. And um, I went and, you know, uh, I did a few open mics and then I got a show. Once I got that first laugh at the show, that was it. It is taking everything over. I still do other stuff, but, you know, stand up is number one. Right on, right on. What is it that you love most about stand up? Because I know for a lot of people, stand up is really, really scary. Um, is there, what draws you to the craft? Because it's it's definitely a craft, and not everybody can get the comedic timing and uh, the nuances of being a stand-up comic. Correct. Um, I'm going to say what I love about it is um, it's stuff that I have to say uh, that other people have to say um, that normally would not be accepted, but you could make somebody laugh. Um, they can accept it, and, and um, I think that those are some of the best jokes I like. Is when you say something or bring up something that's controversial, controversial, and um, make people laugh at it. You know, uh, I will add to that that we're living in a day where you know people want to be offended by pretty much everything. You know, but um, uh, I'm still, I guess you can call me one of those old-fashioned minded uh, comedians that I, I believe that you know, as far as comedy. You know, political comedy or whatever the case may be, you know, if it's making somebody laugh, uh, it's a joke. The problem with it is we're living in a time where we have a lot of Trump supporters and people like that saying very raucous, very, uh, 
very horrible stuff, and then they put it on, oh, I was making a joke. And that upsets me a lot because it's like, all right, you're not, you're not doing, you're not doing consistent shows. You know, you're not even doing open mics. You just said something disrespectful to somebody, and you know, you got caught on camera or audio. So to keep your job, you're gonna, you're gonna act like you're a comedian, and it, and it kind of messes up what we do. But uh, that is the reason I, I want to say um, freedom of speech. That's one of the main reasons I got into comedy. You know, I have stuff that, that I want to say, you know, and make people laugh at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. You hit, you hit on something there in terms of just the political climate and kind of how people perceive different things. You know, everything can be deemed offensive. Um, you yourself, as a comedian, you walk a very fine line. Um, how do you... I guess, how do you balance that line or walk that line of um, being edgy but not being super offensive to the point that, you know, people just think that you're irrelevant or that you're a dick? You know what? Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. I, I'll, you know, um, it's, it's hard seeing yourself at, from the inside. Like, you, you, people see you from the outside looking in. You can't see, you can't step out of yourself and see yourself, you know, but, uh, how I like to answer that is, uh, I feel like I'm at least, uh, what I've seen in New York and LA, cause I've, I've been on pretty much both markets that, uh, I pretty much crafted myself in going towards some of these lines we're talking about and stepping amongst them. I'm going to tell you who actually, uh, helped me do that the most and they don't even know it. Passive aggressive white people, you know, um, working at corporate jobs, Always, you know, you always have to deal with them. I've had a few. You always have to deal with them. They're saying something, but they're not saying something. You know, like uh, blonde hair, yeah. blue eyed women. I, I ain't gonna lie. I've dated blonde hair, blue eyed women, and they'll say something, and then you be like, "Hey, wait a minute. It sounds like you're saying this, ma'am." And it's like, "Oh no, 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 no. I didn't mean that." So just dealing with a whole bunch of people like that, I've gotten to the point where I can write jokes where it's like. Oh, you said this, this, and that. Wait, no, no, no. I didn't. I didn't mean that, sir. What are you talking about? You get what I mean? So, passive uh, aggressive white people have really helped me out, man. Like they really helped me out. Like uh, I'll give you one one example right now. Maybe this might not be the right one, but since it's on my mind, I'll share it with you. Uh, I was um, dating this girl, and uh, she wanted to be serious, but I I knew that she was very promiscuous, and I didn't I didn't really. Uh, believe within myself that if I started dating her seriously that she would stop being promiscuous like that. You know, so um uh I don't want to be harsh, you know, and I still I, I still like having a physical intimacy. I like having a section to six still. So I wasn't I didn't want to totally get rid of her, but I didn't <laughs> want to uh I didn't want to be in a relationship with her. So I told her, I said, look, you are a woman. Y'all are are independent you know, y'all are just as equal as, as we are. And I told her, I said, you know what? You know, uh, I'm not going to judge you and say you can't be, you know, with a lot of men just like men are with a lot of women. I will share you. I'll share you. And she just thought I was just an asshole. But I'm like, wait, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm a feminist. You get what I mean? Like, I'm a feminist. You can't. You can't you can't be both. You can't be like, oh, we want to be equal, da 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 da. But if someone tell you, look, man, I, I know you may want to go do something with your body with somebody else, I'll share you. You know, so uh, those are certain situations where I've learned how to, you know, I've, I've asked many women, what am I doing that's wrong there? And they always pause and be like, well, you're sort of right. You know, women shouldn't be Miss Property, but you know, what if what if one of us want to be Miss Property? And you know, you make people have to talk like that know how 
straddle the line, if you get what I'm saying. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, what is your <laughs> – so are you really a feminist? What, what are your thoughts on the feminist culture? Because I know that, you know, feminism is, is definitely on the rise, especially in today's heated political climate. Um, do you think it's good for men? Do you think it's bad for men? Are you ambivalent? What are your thoughts? Um, I think, I mean, basic on the basic topic of, of feminism. Um, of course, I think it's great for women because it's helping women. And, and but the way the media is presented to me is just a bunch of bullshit. And what I'm trying to, what I want to say about that, because I don't want to offend anybody, is that um, there is a thing that I'm familiar with that uh, um, the media doesn't like bringing up, and that's intersectionality. Uh, I'm not, no, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's pretty much stating that, you know, you can't put all women in the box because women are living different lives, you know. Um, they don't do that with men. They try to sometimes, but they don't really, the media don't really do that with men because they know a black male is not, and most black men does not have the privileges that a white man has. So you can't be like men this and men that, you know, but um, it gets very complex, you know. Um, L.A., you'll find a lot of white women that will tell you that they have the same kind of worse life that you do as a black male. And some of them will say they even had it worse. I do not agree with that, you know. Um, uh, so what? What? So, so what is happening is they're having the women, white women, be the spearhead of women having worse. So when they say women, women have it bad. You know, we know that women have it bad, but it's like, wait a minute, you're a white woman. You don't have it as as, as worse than me. I, I had a, I, I stay in Crown Heights, and I had a woman the other day just like, oh, I'm so scared. You know, she's one of the first inductees of a gentrified neighborhood over in Brooklyn. She was like, oh, I have to walk home. I'm so scared. And I was like, look, I'm going to tell you just like this. Come and smack me if I'm wrong, but you're walking three blocks. You may see a couple black men. It's a very small chance that one of these black males in a city like New York, where it's always some kind of traffic, is going to do something to you because they know it's going to be an investigation. They'll do something to me, and they'll just look at it. The police will look at it and like, oh, that was probably gang violence. Oh, he has dreads? That was gang violence. But with the white woman, they're going to scour that whole area until they at least find the person that did it or find somebody to blame it on. You kind of see what I'm saying? So, um, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. This whole. This whole thing with Kavanaugh and, oh, the world is about to end. This country is changing. And, no, this country ain't changing. They didn't do – there was no uproar like this when this happened to Anita Hill. It was like, oh, well, sorry, we ain't going to do nothing. Put him in this. Now they're just trying to act like the whole world is over because a white woman has been denied some form of justice where every single day uh, 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 the black community as a whole, man and woman, are, are avoided of some kind of justice. Now, am I saying I don't like white women? No, no. I've I had, you know, relationships with white women. And I'll just even throw it out there. I almost got married to one. I was engaged to one for like two, three years. But what I'm trying to say is um, we haven't even fixed racism. And you can't fix sexism until you fix racism. So I believe this whole thing that's happening now, everybody should be a feminist. Everyone should. But this whole thing with the way the media is pushing it is uh, it's saturating a lot of stuff and, and – and, um, uh, it's making people fight and it's separating us, you know. Uh, like, I, every day, I almost don't even want to turn on Facebook anymore. Every other day, I go on Facebook and, 
you know, I'll, I'll see a woman who I'm 100% sure has a better life than me. White woman going there. They'll eat right side. Just another day, a hard day of being a woman, fellas. Yo, go out there and have fun today. And it's like, yo, come on, yo, Walter. I done had, I done had, like, I done, yo, I'm not lying to you, man. I done had about, in my life, I've had about four or five times I had cops point a gun in my face, put a shotgun in my face, thinking I was some other Negro that did something foul. And it's like, I, I, I've made it through all of that, and I wake up just to, ooh, ooh, what a bad day being a woman. Right, right, right. And it's like, some of it is just too much. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say something to get you know somebody in Hollywood offended. You know, believe, believe it or not, I have certain significant people that check on me from time to time, seeing what I'm saying. So I, I'll just leave that part like that. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I um yeah, I agree completely. I mean wholeheartedly, and you know I'm prepared to catch some flack for it, but um you're right. You know, because I mean I, I'm a I'm a black male. Uh, myself and I can attest like no matter how proper your dialect is you can speak the queen's language you can have um good hair you can you know <laughs> but but at the but at the end of the day it's like you're still you're you're still you know you're thrown in you know like people just disrespect you racism doesn't go away because you know things are, I guess, good for you. You've got a nine-to-five or whatever. And a lot of people don't – people that are not african American don't understand that, you know. And it's – there's a bishop, um, and typically a lot of church leaders, they don't really know what they're talking about. But there was a bishop um, this past weekend that was weighing in on the um, women protesters that wanted to kneel – because of the Kavanaugh um, confirmation, and he basically came out and said, you know, hey, you can't hijack um, that from us because that's something that the black community, you know, has adopted to as our form of protest. You know, where were you when, you know, uh, armed arms, you know, black teens are being gunned down and so on and so forth? And it's it's true. It's I think people they have a tendency to lump uh, white liberalism with the struggles of African-Americans, and it's just not, it's just not the same. Um, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's all a part of politics and and, and the game they're playing. And I'll tell you like this, they're they're eventually going to take the kneel because uh, everything we've done uh, you know, um, growing up, I'll just say it like this. I'll, 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 I'll even relate to big booties. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I remember, I remember middle school and in high school. The whole, you know, black males, most of the time, all of us like some form of, 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 of a nice shape booty, you know. Yeah. Uh, middle school, high school was the same, and, you know, that's one of my favorite things, parts of a, a woman's body that I look at, and, and, you know, uh, I remember in high school with the white women, it was, it was just like, we say, yo, you, you, you know, you got a nice booty. And they used to be like, oh, are you calling me fat? And they had so many jokes about it. Now <laughs> I look in, I look in CNN today and I see here's a list of 10 women that have made plus size models, curvy models acceptable, not one black chick. And I'm like, no. I know, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> 
you know, uh, uh, so they're going to eventually steal the deal, man. It, it ain't like, uh, um, like right now they're, they're getting, uh, another thing I will say too is, I, I will say a lot, you do hear from a lot of white people who act like they don't understand how we're living and they don't understand how they have a privilege. And I'm just going to say, I don't be believing that half the time because you'll see one of them be like, oh, I didn't know it was that rough for you guys and da da da. Well, we don't have a privilege. And then the next minute, they'll show you that they understand they have a privilege because they know how to use it to perfection. You see what I'm saying? So, what what it is, is if they ever acknowledge the the BS that they're putting on our lives, and if they ever acknowledge that they have a whole lot of privilege, then the world together will work to stop that privilege. But there's a big group of them. Come on, man. In 2018, who is really that has left their house, really white person, really deep down inside, don't think that they have a better privilege. Because you, you, you know why a, a, a lot a lot of them do know they got a privilege? Ask how many of them brother be black. They act like us. They want to say they want to dance like us. But ask right. how many of them would actually want to be black. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, they, take, uh, they, uh, uh, they profit off of our culture and, and things about us, but they don't want to be us. Right. It's, you know, they uh, don't... Because they know what they're doing, and they they know you know how how it is uh, from you know from Bill Cosby getting to getting arrested to where yeah. you see you you see white people, and I'm not let me just talk. I'm not gonna say that the man is totally innocent, but I'm just gonna say like you'll see Bill Cosby getting arrested and doing time, and then you'll read another article where maybe a, a 19 year old uh, uh, sexually assaulted and and, and raped a 15 year old and does a year of probation. Right. You oh, know, yeah. like, there's, there's definitely, <laughs> yeah, it, there's definitely, it's definitely bias. I mean, you can't, I mean, no one in, in their right mind can argue that. I mean, it's, and then, too, the other thing with with Bill Cosby and, you know, not to be insensitive um, and not to say, you know, he he's totally innocent or whatever, but, you know, I interviewed Dick Gregory two years ago. And Dick Gregory, you know, said that um, a lot of that stuff was being leveled against him because he actually tried to buy NBC, and it was more of a political power play to push him out. Um, It's not so much that the information was valid because Dick Gregory said that it was – he – Bill Cosby lived a very, like, hedonistic lifestyle, and – it was just some of those, you know, encounters. Many of those encounters were like consensual, and you know. But now this, the narrative has changed. Now that came from Dick Gregory, um, right? But it is. I mean, you can tell the difference. I mean, because there wasn't a whole lot of evidence in in his trial, but you know, he's been arrested and he's in jail, and you know, Kavanaugh is, you know on the Supreme Court. So it's it's kind of hard to argue that there's not some bias, you know, something biased going on, you know. I I 100% agree. You know, the one thing I will say about Bill Cosby, you know, uh, and, and he, this is easier said than done because me uh, living in Hollywood for so much of a big part of my life, I know there's some very awkward vices by uh, uh, some of the people that's on top there. You know, um, ah. so 
I will say this, though. If you're going to be the kind of person that Bill Cosby was buying to be and did become, as far as philanthropy and, you know, donate money and want to talk to the black community, put his hands up and all that, you best to be pure in the background, man. You best to be pure in the background. So it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, you, 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 you can't, you know, and I, I'm not going to say he did or did it rape all of those women, but it's obviously when you hear the story, they was having some real kinky nights. And it's like, uh, yeah, you got to yeah. be careful with those kinky, you got to be careful of having those kind of kinky type nights, you know, while also going out there and really trying to repair the black community, man. Cause if they got any kind of blemish on you, like you saw what they did with Wesley Snipes. You know, oh, they, I know. They, he, he, uh, he opened up a facility that was teaching, uh, bodyguards, training bodyguards how to protect mostly black celebrities. And the moment he brought property in Georgia and stuff like that, the moment he did that, they, they, IRS came after him. And I never did understand that case because he had gave all his information to a firm that filed the taxes for him. So I don't understand right, how right, right. he was implicated, but the firm was not implicated at all. It sounded, it sounded like a setup. At, at some degree here. It sounded like a set of cuts. Oh, well, another thing is, if you ever got your taxes from somebody, done by somebody, they'll tell you, yo, this don't look right, and, and this may be illegal. They will they will tell you that. You see what I'm saying? And, oh, and yeah, I know I've had them tell me before, not saying I was trying to do something illegal, but I may have tried to, you know, claim this or claim that. And I was like, nah, don't do that, because I don't want nobody knocking on my door or yours, you know. Uh, exactly. So I don't have Wesley Snipes money. And so I don't understand how that got past the firm and how the firm had nothing to do with it and he had to do that time, you know. So uh uh we we know how it is, man, and, and you know, I I um I just try to stay out of their way, but it's kinda hard because they ain't all about it, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it does make you wonder and I mean it's it's hard to turn a blind eye to it and it's hard to you know, I mean, I don't think anybody that's thinking rationally can say that there's not some some sort of, you know, just um, just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just um, conspiracy. Conspiracy, yeah, like conspiracy, but but also um, there's another word, um, like not, you know, like where one thing is like it's one way for one person and it's different for another person. I mean, you can't refute that. It's a, it's a, it's a systematic, they have a systematic privilege set up for themselves. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that, and, um, and see, that's the thing. That, 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 that's the thing. I don't know if I, like, like I, this is the kind of stuff I like to talk about with stage. I don't really like talking <laughs> about, like, flat-out discussion. People will pull out interviews 10 years ago I've seen him do it like ten years ago. What you've done and be like, hey, this guy. Da, 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 da. But I, 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 you know, I, I'll say this. Um, uh, one thing I think that that upsets me the most recently that they have managed to do uh, that I think affects the black community, you know, is that they have managed to saturate the minority uh, field. Now, pretty much minority is anything that is in a straight white man. You know, everybody got it wrong. The Asians, they have it wrong. They're not getting, they're not getting fully represented in Hollywood. The Latin community, they have it wrong. They're not getting fully represented 
And, you know, they're not allowed to come in here illegally. You know, the Indians, the Indians don't have a right. They need to be represented right. You know, like, uh, um, and some of these are true. Like, they do, they be fucking Latins up. Uh, they be messing up the Arabians. Whenever they make movies, man, the stereotypes, they, they do them dirty. They do. I'm not going to lie, but it, like, saturates the whole, you know. Um, I will say we're one of the main uh, elements of being a minority that has gotten this country to the level it's at. And it's like, oh yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, you might as well call it a rap. I struggle here. It's too many other struggles. It's too many other struggles. <laughs> and, 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 it, like, the struggle community right now is just saturated. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even, you know, I don't even want to talk to nobody about racist stuff now because I feel like I'm old school now talking about it. Like, no, 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 uh, yeah, but no, no. Yeah, don't nobody care about them big ass. That was the nineties. Right now we're focusing on the white women. You know what I mean? It's like you know, uh it it just it is it is what it is, man. Meanwhile, like uh meanwhile, you know, you got this the feminist Me Too movement and I even have seen a a, a there's a, a interview with this lady that's that works for uh, the, the ATLU. She gave an interview and she said, you know what, white woman, we have to do more to become a part of this feminist movement. She said, at this point, women of color are pushing this whole thing and we're taking the places of leadership, but we're not pushing forth the whole feminist movement. She went into the whole thing with voting for Trump and then she went into the thing with Roy Moore where they talked they talk about how Roy Moore, the guy from Alabama that was running again, that how he touched all those, how he uh, was like 38 in the mall trying to get with like 15 and 16 year olds and white women voted for him 66%. Black women went up against him and voted 98% so he lost the seat. But but do you see what she was saying? It's pretty oh, much, yeah. we're not putting in the word, but we're taking all the awards from it. So it's a pretty disgusting time, man. It's a pretty yeah. disgusting time. That's, that's, um, what, um, that's what the Bishop, uh, Bishop Talbert Swan was saying this past weekend. You know, it's like, how can you, how can you marginalize yourself and say that, you know, you're a part of our struggle when up until now you sat out on the sidelines and now just because something doesn't go your way, now you want to steal our struggle and claim it for your own. Oh, yeah, that that is very true. Um, I, I, like that is very. Look, I had this conversation with this woman after a show. I don't do no rape jokes. Another comedian did it, and uh, <laughs> I don't do rape jokes. I don't. Another comedian did it, so uh, she was upset afterwards and got like real hurt, man. Like, uh, so I talked to her, and I was like, you know, she was like, you know, men really don't understand that women. We are always in fear of being raped. And I had to tell her, I was like, yo, you, you really shouldn't assume what people understand and how people are feeling because what you don't understand is that anybody from the African-American community that if you have a white person's name, you have rape in your blood. You're, you you came about through by the process of rape. You see what I mean? So it's like, I just don't want one of them all up in my face. I ain't never raped nobody. So I don't, I just... I, I just don't want one of them all up in my face. Like, oh, you're a man. You don't understand. Like, woman, I'm African-American. It's in my blood. Some of us are, are existing because of rape. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, Walter's a German name, so I know. You know right. And then my last name is, like, Irish. So, you know, like. Me too. Yeah. Mine is Irish too. Scott. Yours is love and mine is Scott. Yeah, I, Irish last name. <laughs> 
So, I yeah, mean, uh, yeah, you can't. I mean, it's part of us, you know. I, I'm the wrong one to run into when they do that stuff. Because my whole thing is I ain't for women, white women, all women. I, I'm, I'm not no biased guy. I understand intersectionality. But I, I, at the end of the day, I love all women, all different colors of the giants, you know. But I, 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 I'm not against one of them. It's just my life, you know, I go through a lot in my life. You know, I, I've worked a lot of tech jobs, and I've been through – I've had white women just trying to get me out of there just because they knew I was making 50 an hour. Just trying to get me out of there, acting like they're afraid and all that. I don't want one of them in my face telling me how hard they got it. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't want one of them in my like. Like, and I, I. I'm. You know, my mom. My mom. Uh, you know, something else I talk about my comedy. But I grew up. My mom used to physically abuse. You know, uh, and a lot of that stuff I don't talk about that much anymore. Stop forgiving my mom and stuff like that. But sometimes she used to talk to me how people at her job was talking to her. And as I got older, I started to understand my mom had, had, had four boys and a little girl, and she couldn't lose her job. But she had to deal with, you know, a white woman there talking down to her, constantly saying she's not good enough for the job and trying to get her fired. I don't care what anyone tells me. I'm not putting them in the same box. I will not. Me personally, I will not put them in the same box. I will not. You know, um, I'm willing to help any woman get equal pay, whatever the case may be. No woman should be sexually harassed. No woman should be touched. But anything outside of that, just as far as the lifestyle and the quality of life, I can't put them in the same box. I can't. And that's just me personally. I, I've seen too much to put them in the same box, you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think we're going to spend about a good 20, 30 minutes talking about white women. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> No, it's okay. I mean, this is a, a good conversation. And, um, that's what I like about um, comedy and just, you know, comedians in general because there's this um, deep understanding of the world and just kind of how human um, – how human we all are and just some of the, the frailties that we have and, you know, the nuances and the hang-ups and stuff. And there's – it's like – some of the most comedic people, like yourself, they're able to break it down and to really see the world for what it is and how it is. And it, it to me, it's always fascinating because, you know, the average person will just lump a comedian and they'll just say, oh, this person just makes jokes all the time. They don't understand, you know. But to me, it's like true comedy is being able to, You know, I think that's the beauty of comedy. You know, and comedians, they have this this knack for just understanding how the world works in terms of human emotions and nuances and, and the thought process of people. And I think some of the best comedy comedians, and you can probably test this, are the people that are the most observant and that can really, really break down and dissect, you know, our world today. And so, you know, the conversation we were having before, I I think it was really appropriate because, I mean, um, if anything, it actually feeds into my next question. But, you know, as a comedian, um, you know, I noticed that people kind of, they put comedians in boxes. So, you know, they'll do, you know, Kevin Hart, but Kevin Hart is different from John Hill, and their comedy styles are different. And I've uh, I've always heard this growing up, and I kind of – agree with this now, but um, would you say that there's a huge difference between, I guess, quote-unquote, black comedy and white comedy? 
Oh, that's a good one. Um, yes, there is a difference. Big differences. Um, uh, are you asking as far as the content, or because uh, there's different elements to it? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess you know, because on the surface, you know, it. I guess it is maybe like the content because it's like okay, Kevin Hart may you know, make a joke about, you know, growing up at the projects or something like that, whereas, you know, Jonah Hill may make a joke about having a small dick or something like that. So the context is different. Um, but I guess what I'm really asking is just it, it, it seems so layered to me. Like, um, I don't know if it's the life experiences that make the humor different or just our culture. Um, but that's my question for you is, is – what are some of the differences, and I guess what what makes us so different in terms of the way that we do comedy and perceive it? Um, well, to be honest with you, they are very different. Uh, I would say one of the biggest differences they have probably is behind the scenes and your role uh, to get your first special. They're very, they're very different. Um, but both, I would say both, genres are are reciprocals, you know, um, because I'm going to say most black comedians you run into are going to be what we call chitlin circuit comics, death comics. I mean, not to offend any of my fellow comedians listening, but, you know, um, they call that the chitlin circuit comics or they call you a death jam comic. Um, then, you know, white people, they, they have what you may call the wicker comics, you know, like Gary Owens and stuff like that, like the comics that really only do black women, you know, so it's like we, we, reciprocal and they're, the, 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 the wigger comics, they're more on the lower scale of white comedians and the, the I can say maybe like the, the ones who do the smarter jokes, white comedians are on the top. Uh, with blacks, it, it's more the opposite of that. You see most of the death jam, uh, uh, chicken circle comics on top. Uh, but the smart comics, you have a couple of customers. Like, I would say Dave Chappelle to me, or, as far as stand-up, is like number one now. So he's up there. But you don't have a law him and Chris Rock. There's a lot of other smart black comics that you don't really hear about. Like, I mean, look at the guy that got Bill Cosby uh, uh, locked up, Hannibal Burris. Well, yeah, Hannibal Burris is <laughs> he's, a, he's what you may call a smart black comic, but you don't really hear about Hannibal Burris that much. You know, um, uh, not like you may hear about... Yeah, like like Kevin Hart, I would call him a clean chitlin circuit comic. You know, Kevin Hart, uh, he's not really trying to talk about politics. He's not really doing analogies. He's doing a lot of stories, a lot of gestures, and, you know, uh, that comedy jam type stuff, which uh, I have stuff like that. Like, I feel like as a comic, you're supposed to be able to do any role that, that where they can speak English. It don't matter. If they can speak English, you're supposed to be able to make them laugh. So if you put me in a room for all black, I'm going to make them laugh. You know, and I got jokes that, that, you know, I don't necessarily present the same way I would to white people because it's different dynamics with that. But, um, uh, yeah, I would say behind the scenes is much different. If you get really good as a white comic, you are going to get an opportunity, period. You are going – that's not necessarily true – uh, um, as far as for black males, because I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to go through first. You're going to have to go through other black males. You know, I, I do comedy in New York and L.A., and there's a list of, of black comedians that I have not done anything wrong to them. I've never even had a negative conversation with them. 
But as soon as they see me, it's just it's just anger. You see it in their face because you know it's a lot of a lot of black comedians. They feel like there's only a certain amount of slots, you know. Um, and if they see you and they see you funny, they think that oh, this might be the one to take my slot. Uh, is that necessarily true? I don't think so. Not even in the time we have now because. You don't have this TV now. You, you also have the Internet. Not only that, you also have apps. There's a lot of streaming apps. There's like a, a new streaming app coming out every month. These apps want content. These apps want writers. I feel like right now, like, you know, I did a personal study myself. And the personal study I did myself is that the majority of videos that go viral go viral because they are funny. You see? Um, you, you have a certain percent of them, percentage of them go viral because it's shocking, shock value, you know, but majority of videos you may look up in a day that are viral are viral because they are funny. And what's the comedian's main tool? Laughter, being funny. So I feel like now we have some of the most opportunities as comedians to do stuff than ever before, but you have, you still have a lot of black comedians that, that, that look at, they don't want their slot taken and they don't, they're not thinking about getting better. They're not thinking about adjusting their stuff. They just want to stop you. I've seen them in action. I've, I've seen them in action. They'll even, and I won't say white comedians don't do this like that, you know, but uh, a black comedian will go and talk to somebody that they know that you're going to eventually need to meet and will tell them something negative about you that's not even true just to already set a bad scene for you. I, I've seen it happen, man. I've seen people come tell me, hey, do you know this comic and that comic? And be like, no, nah. well, just watch out for that person. And, and I don't even tell them, like, look, you don't have to tell me that. You make me want to go meet this person now to see why you're saying that. Because so if, if you know that I don't know this person and you're just trying to set a negative seed for them, there's jealousy. There's probably somebody I need to meet. I've actually told one comic that before, you know. So uh, it's a dirty game, man. <laughs> it's a dirty game, man. Yeah, I've, I've always heard that. Uh, I've heard that from other comedians, too, that it, it is just a dirty, dirty game. Um which it sucks because you would think, you know, with something like comedy that, you know, it would be a tool that would unite us um, as a people, at least amongst one another. Um, but it seems like there's, you know, there is that division there. And um, that that is just really, I guess it's just really surprising to me. Um, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with, you know, the negativity and just, you know, having to fight amongst your own people, you know. I'm going to tell you this. That is the biggest factor that has slowed me down in comedy. Now, uh, I pretty much got it, and I have a way more. I don't give a fuck that. But, uh, like, I'm not going to say this one comedian's name because uh, I pretty much, uh, it's, it's just a wicked game. I don't even want to mention this person's name. Uh, uh, I don't want them to think that this is a story that I'll go around telling them about. It's not the truth. I'm talking about it now, so I'll talk about it. But there's a comedian that I grew up watching that saw me perform. I saw him, and I said, hey, man, I'm so glad you got to see me perform. I would like for you to be my mentor. This dude invited me, along with another very popular, one of the top three comics right now, uh, to a dinner in Hollywood. A day after that, and I thought this dude was going to really show me the ropes or whatever the case. He set up that whole dinner, that whole meeting to tell me. I will never forget. He said, I'm going to have a long discussion with you, but I don't want you to say a word. 
and told me I need to do radio and told me I need to stop doing comedy. Uh, I need to get it out of my mind. Um, uh, that he admires that I spent so much time uh, uh, doing it. A lot of people wouldn't do that, but that he himself um, would like to be a friend and tell me to just stop doing it, you know. This dude don't even know that, you know, I had David Talbert tell me to get into this and other people, you know, um, and the other comments that he brought did not know that that's what his plan was. And they later on came to me and said, don't listen to that dude. He's just a real hater. But I stopped doing comedy for three months because, and it wasn't that I believed this guy. It's that, I don't know if you really know about Buffalo, New York, but when I grew up there, it was one of the, every year, one of the top five worst cities most homicides, and I lived in the worst neighborhood of Buffalo at that time. And what it came down to is, I'm going to end up killing one of these women. Like, point blank, period. Like, I'm, I'm going to end up killing somebody that I I, I, I really admire because I, 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 I see the viciousness in this. You know what I mean? So I took some time out. I never took three months out since then, but I took some time out to really decide if this is what I want to do and to promise myself, and this is what I'm going to do. Don't let none of these dudes get to you, and don't knock somebody out unless you, you, you know, you put in a situation where you have to defend yourself. You know what I mean? But uh, it's it's very tough. Um, um, if everybody knew what some of these, I'm seeing comedians right now argue with each other that I saw them hating on each other before they even got to where they are right now. So it's like um, uh, 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 people really want the stuff going behind the scenes. There's a lot of comedians that wouldn't even follow, you know. Um, uh, but it ain't my job to go out there and expose some of these comedians. Uh, the stuff that has happened to me from very famous comics, you know, I keep it in my mind just as a reminder of how the game can be. I go about my business, you know. I don't uh, spread the negativity out there and, and have it become a part of my vein. You know, I just keep it as a reminder of how it can get. But, yeah, it's pretty bad. I'm going to say – uh, it's, it's probably the the most um, it has jealousy in it more than anything else I've been involved with in my life. Man, I hear you. I hear you. Um, your style of comedy it's different from a lot of other comedians that I've you know interviewed and you know that I've actually had the, the privilege to watch. And um, I, I, you know, one of the things that really stands out to me with your comedy is that you you somehow infuse positivity into what you are saying and what you do in your stand-up and that, that to me makes you so much more unique um than some of the other comedians out, out there um how do you do that because i know that you've had a rough life and i mean oftentimes things can can really weigh on you you know what i mean you can you know a bad situation can really leave a bad taste in your mouth how do you i guess remain positive and infuse that into the work that you do? Um, well, uh, I've had a lot of setbacks in life. And one thing that setbacks uh, has done to me is, 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 and one of my things is I'm very optimistic. You know, I, 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 I try, when something negative happens to me, um, uh, I can't, it, it has already happened. I can't undo it. You know, and I've gotten to the point, you know, you get so many setbacks, uh, you know, you get a setback, you get depressed, setback, you get depressed. Well, it's just like anything else. Unless you're insane, when you start having these setbacks or you have something that could be considered a setback, your mind no longer goes to depression after that because it's used to it. You know what I mean? So what, what my mind started to do is it started saying, yeah, well, this happened, but what, what, even if this 
whatever, whatever it is, what positive can you take out of this? You know what I mean? And I'm like that with everything. I'm even like that with uh, the president. Um, Donald Trump, you know, uh, I didn't even really like calling him the president, but whatever. <laughs> you know, um, uh, when he got voted in, you know, I had to look at it and be like, all right, you're not undoing just this guy being president. So you're not going to sit here and be depressed about this. Let's just try to focus on whatever we can out of it that's possible. And, you know, that's how I, I tend to, uh, to, to try to look at the thing, not not to say that what he does doesn't upset me, and some of the stuff that our own brothers have been doing with Donald Trump doesn't upset me. It's just, you know, yeah. I try to take yeah. the positivity out of it. You know, um, uh, I, I, I have no choice. I'm not going to, um, you know, I, I grew up with, with, with my main father problems. So it's like uh, um, I'm not going to sit here and just uh, languish and just in, 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 in depression, you know, I got to think about what's positive about it and just focus on it, even though it's not that much, a lot positive about it. Whatever I can, I'm going to pull out of it and I'm going to hold on to it, you know, so. And I'm just trying to infuse that also in, in my comedy, man. You know, I, I may have a dark joke and end it with something positive or put something positive in the middle. And, you know, some of my premises are, um, some of my premises in my stand-up um, are actually uh, advice. That's what I've been doing a lot more lately. Some of my um, premises have been advice. And other comics are sort of like that. Cat Williams can be like that at times. He'll he'll say something positive and use that as a premise, you know. Um, uh, and not only that, nobody likes a negative Negro. No, and they're extra hard on us with that negative stuff. So yeah, you know exactly. what I mean. Uh, yeah. we just watch we we just watch a white man getting confirmed for the Supreme Court, damn, they go out there and cuss everybody on the, cuss out everybody on the panel. I mean, nothing wrong with that, you know what I mean? Like, if it was one of us up there, the moment that we would have found our nose, and been like, look at him, he's angry, guilty. Your nose starts sweating. Oh, he's guilty, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I'm just trying to stay positive, man, and I invoke that in anything that I, I, I can, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm almost out of time, but I wanted to just ask you a few more questions. Um, where can our listening audience find out more about you and keep abreast of um, your your dates for stand-up and just new projects that you're working on? Oh, please, um, my Instagram. My Instagram is uh, Michael Anthony Scott. Uh, I try to update. Um, uh, I'm getting a little friend that's going to help me with it. I'm trying to update my website more, like, at least once a week instead of, like, <laughs> three times a year. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, so my website, Michael Anthony Scott, uh, but mostly my Instagram uh, and Twitter is where you see all my show dates on there. My Twitter is at movie Mike Scott, M O V I E M I K E S C O double T at movie Mike Scott. My Instagram is Michael Anthony Scott. With my Instagram, my Twitter, and my webpage, you won't. I put pretty much have my my big or flyers for all my shows on there. Um, and also, I just wanted to add this. I shot a movie, short film, that got accepted to, uh, today I actually found out I got accepted to the International Online Web Festival. Uh, but you can check that out on Super Clan Man. It's called superclanman.com. Uh, the movie kind of explains itself. <laughs> the title is. <laughs> Mike, Mike, I love it. Um, my very last question is, 
Um, what's the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from your body of work? I mean, you've done film. Because I think you were actually in one of the original Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I helped out with one of the original Spider-Man movies. Production, very small amount. Uh, I didn't have a role in there, but, yeah, I was a part of the production of that. Uh, that was when I was very young. Um, I, I just try to, you know what, I think before it became popular to be a black nerd, uh, I think it's a lot more of us than what the society gives us, uh, uh, society likes to give us just do for. And I, I, I'm just another black nerd. And if anything, um, I like, because, uh, you know, white people see me all the time. They know I'm a comedian. They think I'm going to, they ain't not familiar with my comedy. They think that I'm going to go up there and do death jam comedy jokes. And they end up hearing a whole bunch of, you know, smart jokes. So, uh, I would like to say, if anything I want to take uh, people to take out of my work is to to not judge or to not uh, uh, you can get different stuff from not to stereotype somebody by how they look. You know, um, my whole body of work is a very diverse group of uh, projects. There's one project I was a crackhead on it. Um, I, I hosted a whole McGraw Hill. Uh, series before, uh, just about, um, mathematics and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that blacks, we can be different styles of black. You don't have to be one black. You know, uh, you don't have to be old. You just street black. Oh, you a nerd black. Uh, if anything, I'm kind of all of that put in one. You know, I, I have street stuff and I got nerd stuff, you know. So I, I, I would keep it as simple as possible. I would just say it's, it's not, not to know what to expect from me, but not be surprised. Absolutely, absolutely. You hit on something so, so true and poignant there. Um, I love it. And, Mike, uh, thank you so much for just joining us on today's show. And um, I really, really uh, enjoyed speaking with you. And I'm excited for, um, you know, the things you got, you know, coming up. And uh, I know that this won't be our last conversation. <laughs> I hope not, man. I actually enjoyed this interview myself. And, and you know, I can't wait to release it, man. I'd like to put it in all my format. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, it'll be up uh, later tonight, and um, I'll be sure to tag you and, and everything. This was this was a good interview. So, um, I'm excited. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate it, Walter. I'm I'm I'm, I'm anytime, man. I'm, I'm happy to have these kind of conversations, and it was a I believe it was a very good conversation. Absolutely, I agree. I agree with you completely. Thanks can I ask you one question? Can I can I replace my picture that I gave you? Can I give you oh. one? <laughs> yes, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll send you another one. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Walter. I had a lot of fun. Me too. Me too. Yeah, it was really fun. It was um, what I like. I like conversations that you know stimulate you know conversations about like what's going on in our world and you know what we can do to to possibly change, you know, some of the things that are going on, you know? Yeah, well, we all have a purpose. we got to figure out what it is. And I, I try to use my gifts to go toward that purpose. Amen. Amen. Me too, me too. Mike, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Walter. And uh, anytime, man, uh, I'll make sure I, I'll, I'll stay supporting you, man, and Check, come, come, come check out the, the Instagram and Twitter sometime, man. Drop by and say hi. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll do. All right.
Guys, that was our exclusive interview with comedian Michael Scott. Uh, stick around. We've got some news from the Associated Press coming right up. And uh, also the new trailer for the, mo- for the new Venom movie uh, in theaters now. Uh, make sure to check that out. That's coming up right now uh, at the end of this, uh, end of this interview.